Late March in the foothills of the Bighorn Mountains wasn't yet spring by any means, but there were a growing number of days when spring could be dreamt of. For Wyoming game warden Joe Pickett, this wasn't one of those days. This was a day that would both start and end with blood on the snow. Hello, and welcome to Bestseller, where we read and rate the latest book at the top of the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or regift it. I'm Brian. And I'm Barbara. Today we're reviewing the new Joe Pickett novel, Stormwatch, by C.J. Box, number one on March 19th, 2023. But let's start by seeing what else is happening on the list this week. Well, three of the novels that just entered the bestseller list last week have already dropped off this week. Burner by Mark Greeny, The Last Kingdom by Steve Barry, and The Writing Retreat by Julia Bartz. I'm hoping to read The Writing Retreat soon because its author is a debut novelist, and it's a murder mystery set at a... uh, Uh, Writer's retreat? I admit I've been to a few workshops where I wouldn't have minded a murder or two to liven things up. Or to get someone to stop talking. (laughs) Let's talk about the list. (laughs) In addition to Stormwatch, there are a couple of other new entries this week, both fantasy novels. The Adventures of Amina El Sarafi by Shannon Chakraborty, which is about pirates and sorcery. Fun. Yes, and entering at number three, the latest massive tome by Samantha Shannon called A Day of Fallen Night, which I do not expect to read or at least to finish anytime soon. Long? 866 pages. That's a long day. A long day fallen into night. You know, when the author feels obliged to include a list of characters, a glossary, a timeline, there's some serious world building going on. Making her fans very happy, I'm sure. Indeed. But let's talk about our new number one. What do we know about the author? Well, Charles James Box Jr., C.J. Box, was born in Casper, Wyoming in 1958. So he's 64 years old. He lives on a ranch in Wyoming with his wife, Lori, and they have three daughters. He's an avid outdoorsman who likes fishing, hunting, hiking, skiing, and riding around on a snowmobile. He's published 30 novels, the first in 2001, which means he didn't start writing until he was 42. Mm. So he had plenty of real-life experience before becoming an author, ranch hand, surveyor, fishing guide, small-town newspaper reporter. Mm. He also did international tourism marketing with his wife. His novels are crime and suspense, so they're classified as mysteries, but he's also considered a contemporary writer of westerns, an identity he fully embraces. All his publicity photos show him with cowboy hat, work shirt, denim jacket, that sort of look. Necktie? Not going to happen. He's had a lot of success. His first novel, Open Season, which introduced Joe Pickett, won multiple awards for Best First Mystery. He also won the prestigious Edgar Award in 2008 for a standalone novel called Blue Heaven. Both of his ongoing series have become television shows. His Cassie Duell detective novels have been adapted as the show Big Sky on ABC, and his long-running series about game warden Joe Pickett has just finished its first 10-episode season as the Spectrum Cable TV show called Joe Pickett, which we've seen just a little of. Not exactly must-watch TV, in my opinion. Well, it's the books that count here, right? Right. So let's talk about the book Stormwatch. Okay. It's a 352-page mystery published by Putnam, the 23rd installment in the Joe Pickett series. He's released one Joe Pickett novel a year, 
every year since he started the series in 2001. Since 2011, they always come out in March. Clockwork. Yes. The audiobook, nine hours and four minutes. Not super long. No, you could probably finish it in the time it takes to get from Casper to Cheyenne. Yeah, that's not very far. It's like a couple hours drive. Oh, well, I meant if it's snowing, like like one of those blizzards in Stormwatch. So you'd listen to a book about blizzards while you're fighting to drive through a blizzard? Uh, fine. You can finish this audiobook driving from Cheyenne to Albuquerque in perfect weather. How's that? Perfect. Who's the narrator? David Chandler, who's read C.J. Box works before, also other suspense novels set in the West, including Michael Connelly's Desert Star, which was number one just last November. Yeah, Desert Star, our first practice podcast. Recorded when we were so young and so naive three months ago. So anyway, Chandler has a nice voice for this sort of book, masculine, smooth, hint of a draw. I would say it doesn't work quite as well on the poems that Box uh, starts each section with. Anything else? Who's reading this book? Well, I got curious about whether this was men or women reading C.J. Box. So I took a look at the Amazon reviews as a gauge. What did you find? Well, I would have thought, you know, this is a male writer, a male lead character out in the woods with his guns doing stereotypically male kinds of things. So probably a male readership. But judging by the gender of all those posted reviews, It's about 60% women reading this book. Women also like reading about gun-toting game wardens named Joe. Well, there are also just more women readers out there in general these days. By way of comparison, I took uh, the same sort of calculation for Danielle Steele and Tom Clancy recently. So Danielle Steele's recent bestseller, Without a Trace, which has a male protagonist, by the way, 98% female readership. In other words, just one reader out of every 50 is male. Whoa, well, you're definitely the one out of 50. (laughs) So yeah, I (laughs) I skewed the curve. Whereas last year's war thriller called Tom Clancy Red Winter, written by Mark Cameron, 20% female readership. One reader out of every five is female. So basically, books you might think are for women have very few male readers, mm-hmm. but books you might think are for men have both male and female readers. Yeah, I think something like that, but we'll keep an eye on it as we go through this year. Well, for CJ Box's Stormwatch, we have sitting right here one male and one female reader, so let's review it. Okay, good. So let's start with the story. What's the story about? So Wyoming game warden Joe Pickett is 51 years old and is feeling his age, especially when digging out from the massive snowstorms hitting Wyoming in late March when the story takes place. Yeah, we might mention that Box's characters do age with this series. Pickett's daughters, for example, were kids when the series began, and now his youngest daughter is in college. Unlike, say, J.D. Robb's Eve Dallas, which we just reviewed last episode, she's only aged three years over the 30 years the series has been written. (laughs) That's just one of the appealing features of the Joe Pickett series. You can follow the characters through all the stages of life. Yes. So at the beginning of the story, Pickett is out in the woods doing game warden stuff, trying to finish up and get home before the blizzard comes in. And he comes across a strange little metal shed making a huge unwoodsy like whining Mm -hmm. sound. It turns out the shed houses computers and the whining sound is coming from the large fans working overtime to keep the computers cool. Even out in Wyoming, they need that to cool them off. And more importantly, since this is a murder mystery, there's a Mm -hmm. body down there sticking out of the shed window, its head partially severed by the huge fan. Mm. And we learn that the unfortunate fellow missing part of his head is Zhang Wei, a Chinese national on the faculty of the engineering school at the University of Wyoming. 
Pickett is a game warden, not a homicide detective. So he takes pictures mm-hmm. of the scene and dutifully sends them off to the sheriff, who is so lazy and incompetent, that's Pickett's opinion, not mine, mm. that Pickett decides if the murder is going to be solved, he needs to do it himself. But not all by himself. Joe assembles a team of amateur sleuths, including his librarian wife, Mary Beth. Good researching skills. Indeed. Also his eldest daughter, Sheridan, and a couple of friends. Nate Romanowski, who's a survivalist with serious military skills, living off the grid and running a bird abatement business, which I'd never heard of before. Apparently that's training falcons to get rid of like pest birds around golf courses. Also, he brings into the team Geronimo Jones, another falconer who is also quite good with guns. So this is the team. They're all recurring characters, and apparently they've done this sort of thing before because none of them finds it odd that Joe asks them to risk their lives solving a murder that no one has hired or even asked them to solve. Yeah, it's worse than that because the governor calls Pickett to his office. Apparently in Wyoming, people actually meet with the governor (laughs) and directly orders Pickett to stay away from the case. But like every good mystery novel protagonist, Pickett is driven much more by his own heightened internal sense of right and wrong than by what any of his superiors directly order him to do. Which is why we call this fiction, because if we ever acted like that, we'd just be fired, and then, I don't know, we'd be sad and poor and in no condition to crack cases. (laughs) Indeed. Several themes emerge in their investigations. One, cryptocurrency, because it turns out that that shed houses computers used to perform the massive calculations needed to support Bitcoin. Two, far-right anti-government insurgency, because many of the suspicious characters wandering around the woods are blue-collar workers pissed off about their oil pipeline livelihoods going away and want to strike back at the deep state. And three, Chinese Communist Party shenanigans, including possibly infiltrating American universities for nefarious purposes. So, is Box able to draw all these threads together into a satisfyingly coherent and explosive conclusion? Read the book and find out! I already did. Oh, right. So did I. So let's review it! Okay, so the first category that we review is Grip and Grab. Did the book pull you in and hold you there? So for me, at first, the grip and grab was high. I was pulled Mm -hmm. in, the reading was easy, the images were clear, the story was interesting, and there were multiple threads to follow. It wasn't until later in the book that grip and grab sort of waned for me, so overall, I ended up at a 2.5. Yeah, I had um, a similar experience. I I found the themes interesting. The the anti-government insurgency stuff was, you know, it was interesting, it was believable. Here's a quote to give you another flavor of that demo who is one of the possible insurgents said here's a quote they want us to go away they want to shut down our energy industry our cattle ranches our timber companies and just about every part of our way of life they've never owned a gun gone to church driven a pickup or served in the military they've never changed a tire in their lives hell they've never stepped inside walmart so it's pretty heavy rhetoric but it it rang believable to me and i wanted to see how this would come out Um, I did have a couple problems with the grip and grab. Uh, First, why are Joe and his friends doing this? See, he's a game warden. Game wardens do not solve murders. So there's actually a lot of work in the book that the author had to do to explain why they would take this case on. And it was... It was, a, it was a bit much. I, I, maybe better would be just just let them do it. Let them solve the case, kind of like Miss Marple. She just solves it. You don't have to explain <laughs> how she keeps getting pulled into murders. Um, the bigger problem, though, was the end. 
um, it gets it kind of falls apart at the end, and that takes you out of the reader's trance. Once the the implausibilities, the discontinuities, and so on, and we, maybe we'll talk about that later when we when we get to the last category, all the feels. So I gave grip and grab a two. <clears throat> what about <clears throat> he got flair? I mean, that is our way of saying what's the writing style like does it work for you yeah so for this category i thought there were a lot of good examples of nice descriptive language so some that i noted um this is a quote joe punched off and tossed the phone onto the passenger seat Mm. as if it were infected by some kind of virus that made people stupid i think i've made that move myself um and i also like his phrase for hanging up a phone because like punching off is more accurate. There are 20-year-olds who've never even seen a phone hanging on the wall. <laughs> yeah. So another example that I really like, sheets of melted runoff coursed across the blacktop and his tires hissed through it. Nice. Um, I thought that was, like, you can just feel what that's like. Um, so I I liked it. Um, l- let me let me try to put his writing style into, into words. He, well, I noticed when I went back through the book, because I mark it up, I highlight lines that I really like or really real clunkers that don't work. I had almost nothing marked. So in other words, his flair is minimal. He's not a, I wouldn't call him a writer's writer. He's not that interested in words or wordplay or figures of speech. He's just trying to describe, I would call him like a cinematic writer. It's like he's imagining a scene and just describing it as clearly as he can. Why don't we play an audio example of that? I've got a, a little clip here from um, that just sort of describes, you know, the background, the scenery. Let's let's take a listen. The river was to his back. It was louder than in the summer because it was swelled with melting snowpack. Chunks of ice zipped along its surface and made graceful arcs in the current around half-submerged boulders in the river. A mature, bald eagle sat on one of the boulders like a hood ornament, watching the river flow and flex its spring muscles. Yeah, so that was a really good example. Um, I I gave this category a three. I like I liked the writing and the style and and the images, and I liked that excerpt that you just played. Yeah, I think his one of his strengths is writing about nature. And uh, I also felt he has a tendency to overwrite once in a while where he goes on like maybe one sentence too long. Here's a quote where he's talking to his wife about their daughter, Lucy, who's at college. And um, Joe says, Lucy said she found Fong in her room, upset and crying. We know Lucy, so we know she did all she could to comfort her friend. I'm sorry, I just don't find that a believable sentence coming out of a parent's mouth. We know Lucy, so we know she did all she could to comfort her friend. That could have just been cut. So there are a number of places where I like, just, you know, cut that line and it's it's snappier and better. So I gave that category, he got flair, a two. The next category of review is beam me up. What did we think about the setting of this story? So I was definitely drawn into this world. Um, I love mountains, wildlife, and justice. Mm. So there was a lot here for me. But I felt like some of the characters were a little bit of a caricature. Mm. Um, and and so in the end, this category was only a two for me. So I had the same reaction. I liked actually the integration of the wildlife 
concerns and the the human crime. And he actually has a line about that. He he writes, men who committed wildlife crimes tended to commit crimes against humans as well. That's one of the things I like about the setting, not to mention the fact that I'm never in Wyoming. And he describes it well, and I felt like I was there. Um, He... uh, he integrated the storms really well. Of course, the title of the book is Stormwatch. I felt, felt that, I really felt the, the problems with the snow and some of the scenes where he described digging out were really good and funny. Um, yeah. So I like the setting overall and the, the, all the, the sort of anti-government ethos out there in the West was very believable. Um, I did find a line at the end, in the afterword, where uh, C.J. Box actually talks about writing the book, that was kind of interesting. He says, in the case of Stormwatch, my ideas came from plowing out the road from our ranch after an epic winter storm, listening to snatches of anti-government conversation at a local bar in a rural post office, following national news stories, and hunting elk in the fall, and hearing a high-pitched whining sound where no such sounds should be. So he's writing about what he knows. And it worked for me. The setting was uh, believable, and I enjoyed being there for a while, even you know, even observing these insurgents. Um, it got a little weird though when they when they were handling the Chinese theme. It almost was like verging from um, reporting on what's going on to sort of being conspiratorial themselves. By themselves, I mean the characters. So Mary Beth, his wife, for instance. She has this line, there are something like 375,000 Chinese undergraduates and hundreds of professors in the country. Obviously, they're not all spying on us, but some of them are. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah. okay. Um, so I mostly like the setting, enjoyed being there, and I gave this category a 2.5. And what did you say you gave it? I gave it a 2. Okay, so our next category of review is new best friends. Did we like the characters or did they did we find them interesting enough to hang out with for a bit i felt like i enjoyed getting to know joe pickett i didn't feel like i had to read the other 20 some novels to get a handle on his character Mm. but toward the end his character seemed to devolve into a much less appealing character for me he did some things that made no sense to me but possibly were appreciated by his fans so he lost me a little. like which characters joe joe himself okay joe himself um and also, there, you know, I have a lot of experience dealing with difficult people, including some difficult family members mm. who will not be named. Um, but there was a scene with a mother-in-law that didn't quite work for me. Um, mm. and, and I ended up in the category of new best friends at a 1.5. Okay. Well, he he does, uh, you know, he puts in character development. And these, this is an ongoing series. To, so to be fair, you know, we're not going to know all the development that's already happened in the first 22 novels. Of course. But some of it was did work for me. Like there's a line uh, where he says, "Game wardens love to laugh at photos of other game wardens getting stuck in the mud or snow." That was funny. Yeah, I, did, that was I didn't great. know that. He's got a little line about Joe Pickett. Rather than sending a thumbs up emoji, Joe wrote out, "Yes." He refused to use emojis. I know, there's, <laughs> so he's still doing some character development after all these volumes. The ones that I found somewhat fascinating were the falconers because that was completely new to me and uh you know that part of their lives training you know these predatory birds to attack other birds to help people that are infested that was all new to me and they also 
he, the author, also integrates that with the action that they have to take against you know, the murderers they're chasing. So I've got another audio clip here that brings that out. Let's take a listen. Both falconers stared forward with blank, stoic determination. Joe was familiar with the look from the falcons he'd observed on the hunt and from Nate himself. Nate and Geronimo were entering Yarrick, a deadly and all-consuming fugue state that would narrow their focus to the situation at hand and inevitably result in an explosion of violence. Yarrick was unique to predatory raptors and the master falconers who lived and hunted with them. Okay, so that's good stuff. I uh, I found that compelling. I would say overall, though, I don't I wasn't attached enough to the characters that I would necessarily come back to every volume in the series. So I ended up giving this a 1.5, and I think you did too, correct? I did. So our last category is all the feels. This is about our emotional reaction to the book. Do you want to start with that one? Sure. So I guess for all the feels I look forward, did I cry? Did I mm-hmm. laugh? Did I get chills? Was I in suspense? And in this book, mostly I felt like, shock that these characters were actually doing what they were doing um, without giving away anything about the end. Okay. I just I couldn't enjoy it because I I just, I was sort of doing a face plant. Like there were so many more plausible choices that were being left behind. It just didn't work for me. So I gave this category a one. Well, <laughs> which is higher than a zero. But you know, I, again, the same thing on my end. I, I enjoyed the book. And I wouldn't say I had a strong emotional reaction through the first two-thirds or three-fourths, but definitely the way the ending played out kind of ruined it for me. Um, So again, it's hard to talk about in detail because we don't want to give away the ending, but I'll just say that the way the murders were solved was unsatisfying. Uh, The way some of the good guys acted was uh, not either believable or not necessary. There are even some weird continuity problems, by which I mean um, some people that had like rather serious injuries earlier in the book, and they're just sort of back, and nobody's talking about them. And <laughs> and uh, the the weird thing about this ending is I I have sympathy with authors because endings are hard, and sometimes it's just not possible to wrap up everything satisfactorily. But this was not one of those books. This could have been wrapped up quite nicely it just got really messed up at the end and it makes me wonder if that march deadline was creeping up on him and he rushed the end you know i again in that that little afterward i read a line of his that might be revealing he said stormwatch was one of those novels that almost seemed to write itself once the themes were set and the narrative begun it just flowed well okay let it flow but then go back and fix it if it didn't flow out right the first time. So <laughs> so because the ending was really implausible and uh, not that satisfying, my emotional reaction to the book was 1.5. And I think you said yours was 1. So our overall score, adding all those numbers up and dividing by 10, 1.95, which is a solid two-star rating. Yeah. And that compares to a 4.5 rating that it's getting on Amazon and 4.39 on Goodreads. But we're used to sometimes rating books a little lower than Amazon because it's the fans that are reading the book and rating it. Yeah, we're so, not we're not fans of any particular book. We're fans of reading in general. Yes, and I for me, a two is not that bad. So um, I enjoyed the book. 
It was a quick read. It was fun to be in Wyoming for a while. Yeah. And it's a two-star book for me. So thank you so much for joining us on Bestseller. Check us out at brianandbarbara.com or find us on Goodreads where we have two accounts, one for Brian Luke and one for Barbara Luke. We look forward to seeing you next episode when we'll be reviewing the phenomenon that is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying. Keep laughing, keep crying. And don't stop until you've read them all. 